We're going to be in Psalm 24, for, so I invite you to grab your Bible if you have it or your device. Go to Psalm 24. We're going to be talking about uh, the glory of God. Uh, one of the things that I've been uh, pumped up and excited uh, to do is to preach through the Psalms this summer. And we've touched on a variety of topics. One person asked me, uh, why aren't we talking about some of the current issues of the day? Why aren't we talking about the riots in Kenosha? Why aren't we talking about our uh, black brothers and sisters and, and their plight in our nation? Why aren't we talking about law enforcement and how hard they have it uh, nowadays? Why aren't we talking about COVID-19? Why aren't we preaching a sermon about the presidential election coming up? And, and on and on and on we could go. And I, and I would say this, that we do talk about those topics as it intersects with the, the, the topics, the scriptures that we are preaching through. And so we preach God's word unashamedly, and when we come to those points that intersect with our culture and with our society and the day and age which we find ourselves in, we do speak to those as God uh, speaks to those. But if you think about it, those things that we face even today and, and not uh, downplaying the seriousness of them, those are passing things. Those are things that will change over time. Those are things um, that wax and wane with society. Somebody has told me that uh, it's going to all be changed uh, come November after the election. Now, I don't know if that's true. I think we have issues of our day that we need to wrestle with, we continue to wrestle with, and that's good. But, but here's the thing. I think we need to um, rejoice in the big-time truths of Scripture that stay true over all the ages, over all the centuries. And we're talking about one of those today when we talk about the glory of God. Psalm 24 is talking about uh, the glory of God, and it's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. Now, when I say we get to be a part of it, I'm talking to the Christian now. I'm talking to men and women who've been saved by God, who has chosen you to save you, to change you, to set his spirit upon you, and to use you for his glory throughout the nations throughout the world. It's an amazing thing. So today in the church, brothers and sisters, we're not going to rejoice in our ethnicity. Uh, we're not going to take uh, pride in our intellect. We're not going to uh, rejoice in our athleticism or our good looks or our social class that we find ourselves in or the, the blessings that we have Today, I want to talk to you about this fact, the fact that God has chosen you and he's named you to be one of his sons and one of his daughters. Let this truth, this fact, rejoice, uh, let it uh, stir up in your heart affections for God as you rejoice in him and you participate in his glory. Now you might say, well, I've come to know Jesus Christ. I've come to be saved. Maybe it was at a Bible camp and, and you were convicted from sin and, and maybe you were at the campfire afterwards and you raised your hand and you repented of your sins and you cried and you asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe it was a Billy Graham crusade and you walked the aisles down to the front and you prayed the prayer, the sinner's prayer, to become a Christian. Maybe you responded recently at a baptism class and, and you said, you know what, I want to follow Christ and I want to be baptized as his follower. And so you made that decision. So from your perspective, from our perspective, it does seem as if we chose Jesus, that we chose God, we turned to him. But, but we learn through the pages of scripture that God is actually the one 
who chose us. He has chosen you, and he has named you. And I want you just to think about that and reflect on that today and give God praise and let it stir up affection in your heart. So when you are saved, it's, it's really not of anything that you have done. It's all of God's doing that he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. And when he saves you, he calls you uh, by name, and he calls you many different things. Three of them that just popped into my mind as I was reflecting on this goodness of God, this glory of God that we get to participate in, that we've been chosen to participate in. And three things that he calls us, uh, the first one, he calls us a new creation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are new in Christ. When he saves you, he grabs you and changes you and makes you a new person. It's an awesome thing. Not only does he call you a new creation, he calls you his witnesses. Jesus tells us this in Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. We're a new creation. We are his witnesses now, and we are also, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, we're salt and we're light. We're salt in this world. What does salt do? Salt preserves something. And we don't preserve our own meat in uh, the Lombardo household, um, but if you were to do that, if you were, to, you were to salt up the pork, you were to salt up the meat or whatever, and you could, it would keep for a, a much longer time because salt is a preservative. Not only is salt a preservative, it's also a seasoning. It makes things better. It makes things taste better. In the same way, we Christians, as Christ followers, God has chosen you and he's named you, he's called you salt in this world to preserve the good that we find ourselves in, in society. Not only that, to make society better. So that speaks volumes when we uh, deal with the things that are happening in our society and in the culture. We as God's people, as the church, are to be salt, make things better to preserve the good, and we're to be light. Light dispels the darkness. Light shows and reveals the truth. God names us these things. Now, God saves us. We had nothing to do with that. And he also then turns us into these things without our uh, choosing, uh, choosing to do that. It's, it's not because of our hard work. He, he calls us a new creation right away. He calls us salt and light. He calls us his witnesses uh, we are these things. Of course, we're growing, and we're not perfectly those things, but he calls us that. That's an amazing thing, a thing that I want you to think about and to rejoice in, in God uh, this morning. But it's hard for us to think about um, salvation and how God is changing us and changed us in this way. Uh, why? Because we be I believe we live in a, an achievement-based society. And uh, so we feel that in order to be accepted by God, we need to work really hard, we need to be doing certain things, and we need to be doing those things well in order for us to grow, in order for us ultimately to um, have God uh, rejoice in us and be happy with us. And uh, we live in a performance-based society, and we think that that's kind of how we relate to God sometimes if we're not careful. Think of John 1, verse 12. We read, uh, to those who have received him, being Jesus, to those who believe on his name, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. 
That, that's to believe in Jesus, to receive him into your life. We turn that idea into doing to as many people as doing, who, who do the will of God, who work really hard at it. And then we can hope to one day maybe be his children. God saves us because he chooses us. He declares us to be his. We are a new creation. We are his witnesses. We are salt and light. Step up and be the one that God has called you and created you to be. That's uh, the message that I want to start with this morning because our culture continually bombards us with this idea that uh, our approval is based on our performance. And so many of us, we, we get on social media, maybe last night you were before you went to bed and you're scrolling through and, and, and that type of thinking is per- pervasive. Even as you look at different people and some of you guys, you're looking at it and, and uh, and you, and you see all these strong guys, and, and you're not to show any weakness, and you must come in first place in your life. If you're not first, you're last, right? And uh, for some of you ladies, you're, you're looking at all these different people on Facebook, and you're seeing their lives, and you're seeing how, how they're, they're doing fantastic things, and they got like 17 kids, and they're all homeschooled, and they're all doing a great job, and and, the, and this lady must work out because she's got six-pack abs and posting pictures of their glorious vacation. And uh, somehow they're out to eat at Culver's or nice restaurants all the time. I don't know how they stay in such great shape. But you start to think of these things. You start comparing yourself to these things. And you said, I must do. I must perform. I must do, do, do. And it's never enough. And it's never good enough. That thinking can come into our thoughts as we think about our relationship with God. And I would say this, and getting to the psalm, Psalm 24 in a second, when we desire to grow, it's not just because of how we do it or how, we, how hard we work at it. It's, it's actually um, how we see God, which changes our affections so that we end up becoming more like Jesus Christ. We see the glory of God and we participate in his glory, and then he changes us from glory to glory. We read that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Let me just read you uh, uh, this scripture, and I think this is key as we uh, think about this. And we all, this is 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what Paul is writing here is that we view God. We see his glory, and when we see his glory, the glory of the Lord Jesus, we begin to be transformed from one glory to another. We become more like the one who we see, the glory that we are witnessing. And so that's why we study the scriptures, not because we have to study the scriptures in order to be accepted by God. We study the scriptures so that we see his glory more, and then that's how we're changed, because our affections are changed, it's stirred, and we then move to greater glory. That's what David is talking about in Psalm 24, beholding the glory of God so that ultimately we're going to be changed by it. Now, as we go to Psalm 24, I want you to take a look right here at the end of verse 6. And at the end of verse 10, we see this word, Selah, or Selah. This word 
literally means to stop, to think, uh, to reflect uh, on what has just been read or what has just been sung, okay? To think about uh, the thing that we're doing, and that's what I want us to do today. I want us to think about the glory of God this morning, the thing that unites all of us, because he has chosen us and he saved us for his glory. And I want to reflect on that to remember how important his glory is and that we then, as we welcome the king of glory in our lives, he will change us and use us for our good and for his glory. Now we're ready for Psalm 24. A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. We're talking about the glory of God this morning. He is called the King of glory. What is the glory of God? This is a huge topic throughout the pages of Scripture. And so I just want to take a, a minute before we look at the specific verses here, what the Scriptures talk about the glory of God and what it is. The glory of God is the magnificence, the worth, the loveliness. It's the grandeur of God's many perfections, which he displays in his creative ways, in his redemptive ways, all throughout history. Sometimes the glory of God refers to his personal presence. It's the Shekinah glory that we read about in the scripture. It's when God's in one place. Now he's everywhere all the time and his glory is everywhere all the time, but sometimes there's the manifested uh, personal presence of God in a particular place. For example, when the nation of Israel is being led out of Egypt, God went with them. His presence was seen in a, uh, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's where God was. God's uh, presence in a particular way dwelled in the Holy of Holies, in the, in the tabernacle. When God met with Moses on Sinai and he allowed Moses to see his back, he, seed, he saw the place where he just was, that was God's a particular manifested presence in a, in a specific uh, space. So you can talk about the glory of God in those two ways. In a, in a, their God is represented in a, in, a, in a particular space or the glory of God which is manifested all throughout the universe through his um, beauty, through his worth, and through the grandeur of all of his perfections and they are on display. In Hebrew, the term for glory is kabod, uh, meaning uh, weightiness or uh, heaviness. There's um, the value, the worth, the heaviness of God. 
The Greek term used is doxa, which is uh, praise, um, fame. It is, uh, maybe you have sung uh, the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's called the doxology. That's giving glory to God for who he is and what he has done. So in the Bible, then glory is sometimes an adjective, sometimes it's a noun, sometimes it's a verb. God is glorious, that's the adjective. God reveals his glory, that's a noun. And God is to be glorified, that's the verbal form. But the glory of God is then the foundation of all things. Everything. Your salvation, the foundation, is the glory of God. Your life, the foundation, is the glory of God. The meaning of the universe, the foundation of it, is the glory of God. Let me give you two examples from Scripture. The first one being the salvation of God's people, Israel, from Egypt. And the second example uh, being our own salvation as we talk about being saved. Now, why did God save the nation of Israel? Why did he lead them out of captivity and led them toward to the promised land? Now, um, he did it for many different reasons. We read that all throughout the pages of the Bible. He did it because he loved the people. He did it because he loved Moses. He did it because he had uh, a covenant with the people. The covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He did it because he's faithful to his promise to them. He did it to reveal his power. He did it to reveal his power over the nation of Egypt and to reveal his power to Pharaoh and to harden Pharaoh's heart. He did it to show his glory. He he did it for a variety of reasons, but the underlying one, the foundation of it, was for his glory. He did it for his name's sake. He did it to reveal his power to the nations. He did it to reveal who he was as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was for his glory. That's why God did it. Now, why does God save you? Why did God choose you? Well, he he chose you because he loves you. John 3, 16. He chose us because he has love and mercy for us. He's rich in it. Ephesians 2, 4. He did it um, because it's for our good. It's the good of people. The high priestly prayer Jesus prays. It's, it's for the glory of God, but it's for our, our good. He does it for a variety of these reasons, but the, the ultimate foundation is why you're saved is for the glory of God. That's why. He would reveal himself to you. He would save you so that you could know his worth and his value and his beauty. So the glory of God is the answer to the question that so many people ask. ask, What is the meaning of life? It's the glory of God. It's beauty. It's loveliness. It's all good things. It's the nature of God himself. And and, uh, the king of this glory is the Lord Jesus Christ, God revealed in the flesh. Now David, he says, Verse 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. First we see the glory of God here in Psalm 24 as revealed in the earth. The earth is the Lord's, the world is the Lord's, 
He founded it upon the seas, established it upon the rivers. We see God's glory in creation, first off. In the universe. The universe displays the glory of God. Uh, from both the massive parts of our universe to the very minute. It goes both ways. But There are some videos that you can watch where you uh, start off at earth and then you pull back and you reverse back and you see the earth and then you see the planets or the moon and the planets and then the, the solar system and then the universe and then the galaxies and you pull all the way back to see the universe and you just see how incredibly small uh, we are. That's the massive. All of this declares the glory of God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. It's such a big universe that we live in and, and, and we're such a small, small part of it. Also though, then going small route. Uh, going small is just as big as going large, if that makes any sense. It probably doesn't, but here's what I mean. When you go down to the subatomic level, that world is massive. If you could be Ant-Man, you could shrink yourself down and you could see how massive that world is. A billion atoms it takes to go across the width of a AAA battery. If the atom, an average atom, was blown up to be as big as our Earth, the nucleus, the small little piece of the nucleus would be about 700 feet in diameter. This is a massive world that we can't see that's underneath us. The whole creation is the Lord's. He's founded it upon the seas, established it upon the rivers. Water in the ancient Near East was seen as chaotic. It was seen as evil. It was seen as the place that was messy and without any order. And God, he brought the order. He made the universe. He created it and it operates according to the might of his will. This is the glory of God. So we see God's glory in the earth, and then the second part of verse 1, also in the world and those who dwell therein. Those who dwell therein. The glory of God is seen in people. The glory of God is seen in people. We see a lot of messed up people today. Just watch the news. I, I, I honestly can't really watch so much news now. I, I get too worked up with everything. Um, and, and I just get, I get so upset at people. And, uh, and I would say this, we see a lot of people today who, who display what I lovingly call sinful stupidity. And uh, it's on display in our world. It, 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 it's, and I'm not exempt from it, by the way. But if we look, we can see um, that there is a spark of the glory of God in people all over the world. Whether people acknowledge him or not. Now, some people would say that people are ultimately good. Um, people are good. I, I don't say that. People are ultimately not good. People are at their foundation sinful. They're evil. And they, re, they have a rebellious, rebellious heart against God. But I would say there's still the spark of the glory of God in every human being. Why? Because we are created, men and women, in the image of God. And as image bearers, we still can display the glory of God. There are people today who love their neighbor, who give their lives in service to others, people who adopt children that don't have a family or parents, people that foster, bring foster kids into their home and they have a foster home that show love. They don't, plenty of people like that that don't know God, they don't know Jesus. 
yet they still display the glory of God, a spark of the glory of God in their life. My neighbor, who's not a um, declared Christian, he, he's a great friend of mine. He called me the other day. And he said, hey, your garage door's open. And it's, it's like, I got a good neighbor. He's looking out for us. He's watching our house. He's keeping his eye on things. And I love that. That's the spark of the glory of God, someone that would care for other um, people. We see the glory of God in people. How much more should we see the glory of God in us? You and I, who know Jesus Christ, who have experienced the forgiveness of the cross of Calvary, who believe in the resurrection of the dead, who are going to share in the glory of God, which is even yet to come, how much more should we, even in this season of difficulty of life, in the midst of COVID, of, of, of deteriorating race relations, of forces outside our country who want to destroy us from within, how can we display the glory of God as we love other people? As we minister the love of Christ, God calls us to that, to display the glory of God in our lives. So we see God's glory in creation, in the universe, in people, and then the last part that we see in verses 3 and 4 is actually in God himself, in God's holiness. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So who can be with God? Who can share in the glory of God? Who can have this glory, this beauty, this worth, this grandeur of all the universe? Who can be with God? And the answer is those who are clean, clean hands and a pure heart. Now the answer to that is who has that? The answer is no one. We don't have it on our own. We have sin in our hearts. We have dirty hands. We don't have pure hearts. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? The scriptures tell us. So we are sinful. We first have the sin of imputation, as scripture would call it, uh, original sin or the sin nature. David would say that in sin my mother conceived me. I was brought forth in iniquity. It's the plight of all of us. It's the plight of all humanity is that we have, because we're born in the line of Adam, we have his sin nature. You say, man, that's not, that's not fair. I didn't choose that. Well, okay, but you chose the next two, okay? Sin of commission first. So not only are we born with a sin nature, we also commit sins. We choose to sin. We choose to do the things that we know are wrong. Have you sinned today? Have you sinned this morning? Have you sinned this afternoon? Will you sin tonight? All of us choose sin, sin of commission. The third type of sin is the sins of omission. The reason why we don't have clean hands and we don't have a pure heart, the reason why we can't ascend the holy hill of God is because there are things that we know we should do and we say, no, we're not going to do it. In the book of James we read, that if we know that there's something that we should do and we don't do it, that's a sin. I could give many illustrations. I could, I could give illustrations in my own life of, of things that I've known I should do. But because of embarrassment, because of laziness, uh, because of not really a desire to love anybody else, I refuse. And that's, that's sin. 
So who can ascend? Now we know the rest of the story, which is a beautiful thing as we read the scriptures. We read um, that there isn't any one who is sinless, Romans 3.10. There is none perfect. There is none, no, not one. For all of us have sinned, Romans 3.23. We all fall short of the glory of God. But Isaiah 53.6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The King of glory takes our sin. He was the one that allows us to ascend to his holy hill. He is the one who cleans our hands and purifies our hearts. He is the one who we receive blessing from and the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God in him. That's verse 5 of, of Psalm 24. That's the righteousness of God in his salvation. And we become the generation of those who seek him, the face of the God of Jacob. The church, God's people. So then we see, well first, Hey, Selah, stop. Think about it for a second. Here's this glory of God, which is incredible, and the only ones that can share in this glory, the only ones that can discover the meaning of life, the only one that knows can, can rejoice in the foundation of, of everything in this universe are those who can ascend to the holy hill of God and share in his glory, and that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. That comes by his sacrifice for us on our behalf, his resurrection from the grave. It gives us new life as we now are associated with the Messiah. He's Jesus, the Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. We're with him. We're forgiven by his sacrifice. And now we are sinless. We can ascend to his holy hill. We can share in his glory. We can see his glory in creation, see it in other people, but now that glory can be where we live, where we're at. It's a beautiful thing. It's what unites us as God's people. So, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The heads of the gates of the cities of the ancient world needed to be opened to let people in. So open up the gates, and uh, as David is saying uh, uh, this, to lift them up even higher, O ancient doors. Verse 9. Lift them up, O ancient doors, gates. Open them up. Open them up high. Why? Because the king is coming. The king of glory is coming into the city. It's, it's not just the Ark of the Covenant now, which where the glory and the presence of God would said to be residing in the, the Ark of the Covenant. Here it comes down the path, and it's going to come into the city. Open up the gates. It's even more than that. Throw open the gates. Raise them up high. Why? Because God himself is coming in. This is the right response to the glory of God as we see it, that we would believe in the plan of salvation that he has made manifest to us, the, the plan of salvation through his son, Jesus, and then that we would invite the king of glory in. He is the king of glory. He is the one who's made salvation possible. So lift up your heads, O you gates. Throw open the doors that the king might come in. Remember, the king, he's the one that's mighty in battle. How many of you have battles in your life? You need to hear that the glory of God is going to help you in that. 
It's, it, it's God himself going to come and sit on the throne of your life and help you through those battles and give you victory over those battles that the king of glory might come in. He's the Lord of hosts. The angels that are coming with him that he actually assigns to us and to our protection and our help. You can't even imagine the glory of God. But throw open the gates so the glory of God may come in. This is the king of glory. This is what we rejoice in today. And remember, when we see this king, when we see his glory, may Psalm 24 stir affection in your heart to him because he's chosen you. He's forgiven you. He saved you and you get to participate in that awesome glory of God. Now when you take that truth, it changes the way you live.